podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Must be injured. guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the Andy Campbell Show, episode number 57 today and it is the day of Cardiff versus Fulham, so I will have one eye on that. But of, uh, of course, Ace Podcast Nation is also the home to many other shows and series featuring top guests, expert analysis and more, so please follow us on social media, get your information, the links and everything are below, subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, of, of course. And, uh, of course, you can also follow the show's official Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page at AC Footy Show everywhere. Uh, big shout-out and a thanks to Black Diamond Sports for all their help with the show and uh, help us prep, prepare it and uh, all that, that sort of stuff. They're a global sports agency representing sports stars around the world for more information, visit their social media pages. The uh, the links for the, for that are in the description and in the closing credits. And uh, of course, thanks to uh, Darren Ralston for sponsoring the show, Bespoke Financial. Uh, and here's a quick word from them as well. My mummy and daddy have been talking about life insurance. It sounds like something to protect my brother and me, but I don't really understand. Then my auntie Louise told mummy about Bespoke Financial Teesside. She said they're a local company who helped her with her life insurance. Mummy got in touch and because they're based locally, a man called Darren was able to come to our house. He was really friendly. Darren stayed for a cup of tea and made it all really easy to understand. He said that life insurance will protect our home and family if anything bad were to happen. Like if mummy or daddy got sick, then we'd get enough money to take care of us and our house would be paid for so we wouldn't get taken away. After an hour, Darren said goodbye and Mummy and Daddy seemed a lot happier. Once it was all sorted, we could all relax and watch a film together as a family. I don't know why they didn't do it sooner. Right, I've got my teeth in now so I can actually speak. <laughs> Unbelievable. I don't know, what was, don't know what was going on then, but I apologise profusely. 
Good word. Good word. Well, that's just proving that they were in. <laughs> Bespoke Financial. Uh, you know, they uh, thank you for them to sponsoring the show, of course. And they specialise in life insurance, critical illness, income protection, mortgages, and of course, sports cover. Uh, joining me this evening to talk the latest football news, as well as our guests' career and much more. First of all, we have uh, my usual co-host, partner in crime, the goal collector, David Jones' favourite son, Mr Andy Campbell. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm excellent, mate, yeah. Um, obviously, I want to take this opportunity to uh, dedicate, obviously, the show to uh, Liam Davies, who obviously lost his life on uh, on Friday. Um, uh, obviously, I was, really, I was really upset last night when I found out, because... Um, I'd done a, a, a birthday wish to, uh, to Liam for his birthday in April during lockdown and his sister Abby um, got in touch with me um, and, uh, and she obviously told me the news yesterday. So I was, I was devastated for her and, and the family and obviously Liam himself and, um, and just hope that Cardiff can do him proud today because obviously he was a huge Cardiff fan. I think um, Morrison's his favourite player uh, for all the pictures what I've seen. So um, obviously I told her that we'd want to dedicate the show today to, um, to obviously Liam's life. So I'm just really, really proud to be able to do that. Absolutely. I second that. Absolutely. Um, straight away, Weston's in with a comment. He says, uh, David's hair is better than Andy Campbell's. It's ruthless, this, by the way. It's ruthless. 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 <laughs> bear, in, bear in mind, Reese. Bear in mind, Reese. He's just, he's just admitted that he's just done it early before he came on the show, so... I haven't. All oh, right. Man's, 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 man's a grow. Man's a grow, so... So, uh, yeah, as you can see, tonight's guest, he started his professional career at Bristol City before moving to Wigan, Sheffield United, Swansea City, Barnsley, Doncaster, Birmingham, Indian Super League side, ATK, Barrytown United, and of course, a former Welsh international who made over 400 career appearances, scoring 51 goals, Cardiff-born, Mr David Cottrell. How are you, mate? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Oh, oh pleasure, mate. Really, really, uh, really pleased that you come on, mate. So, Cardiff born. Does that mean? Does that, does that mean? Does that mean you? Does that mean you're a Cardiff fan, David? Just to put that one to bed. Early does. Um, you know what? I've had. I got. I get asked this question all the time. I was linked with um, Cardiff right throughout my career on a few occasions, and I did want to play for Cardiff. So it was never about you know I dislike Cardiff. That's why I signed for Swansea. This and that. I always wanted Cardiff to do well. Um, so, yeah, I put, well, I'm a Man United fan because my middle name is George Best. No wonder I'm a fucking alcoholic. So, uh, so, so, yeah, I was a United fan growing up. But I did used to go, my dad would take me to go and see the City games, yeah. Right, okay. There we go. Right, Good we'll answer. get into that now. I'm going to get into that. Um, but uh, as, as, I, as everyone knows, when we like to start the show, fire seven quick fire questions at you. And uh, just so the the viewers can get to know you and your tastes. Oh, uh, here we go. So you just say the first thing which comes to mind, really. Uh, one of them's a bit tricky, I can't say. <laughs> it's kind of putting you on the spot a bit. But, you know, start as we mean to go on. Um, so, David Cottrell, Magnificent Seven. Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Cardiff or Swansea? Oof. Oh, that's a horrible one. <laughs> that's, do you know what? Right, that's that's disgusting. What a start of the show that is. That should have been question number one, by the way. We could have finished on it. Yeah, we could have finished it. End of the call. Um, oh God. I'll have, I'll have to go. I'll have to go Cardiff because I'm from Cardiff, but I play for Swansea, so 
I'm good luck with that. On the fence. I want them to both do well. We'll just go with that. Fair play. Great comeback, that, like, by the great way. I'll give answer. you that one. Yeah, I like that. My work is done. Yeah. Uh, Favourite TV show? Uh, do you want an all-time, my all-time favourite one? Yeah, yeah. Probably Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, I like that. Excellent Good choice. Good answer. My kids watch that now, so I get to watch it all over again. All school, isn't it? All school. All school. Oh, yeah, awesome. awesome. real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, angriest teammate. Uh, probably I'd have to go with um, Craig Bellamy. I think. Yeah, that seems about right. Uh, <laughs> best best roommate. Um, best roommate. I always, I used to always, I had a room on my by myself quite a lot, but um, probably towards the back end of my career with Birmingham, I was with Michael Morrison, who was who was a good roommate of mine. He's at Reading yeah, now, yeah. the centre back. Yeah, good lad as well. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Giggs or Gareth Bale? <sighs> Bale. Oof. Shut. Didn't even didn't no, even think about it. No, no hesitation um, there. No hesitation. Straight in. Straight in. No messing. And uh, finally, you can answer with me if you want. Uh, the greatest Welshman who's ever lived. <laughs> um, I think Tom Jones for me. That's, oh, a, crack, that's a great cracking answer. That's a cracking answer, isn't it? Great, great answer. What a what a recovery after that second question. I got to <laughs> super. You've thrown an absolute grenade on me in the first five ten minutes of the call. Uh, I, I, just, I just can't. I just can't believe. So tell me through with it. So t- tell me why that wasn't question number one. Well, I didn't want to, you know. Scare him off. He's got to ease in with oh, so Ronaldo you, you... or Messi. Oh, right. And then it's like... Fair one. So he Fair just one, thinks boss. it's nice, easy court. Yeah, just Fair one. Couple, talk a bit about football and then bang, <laughs> straight in. <laughs> get, his, get his friendship up and then all of a sudden yeah. bang yeah. him with a question. Make him feel comfortable. It. Perfection. whip the rug Perfection. out from under his feet. <laughs> Perfection. It's what, it's what a proper journalist does, isn't it? <laughs> Something like that, I suppose. Professional, isn't it? Uh, yeah, of course it is. And you hand, I, 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 let me give you credit there, Dave. You handled that really well. So indeed, great answer, absolutely fantastic answer. <laughs> Could have gone badly wrong and just batted it off yeah. with a straight bat. Easy yeah. goes. So, um, what we do, David, before we kind of go into your career and stuff like that, is um, we pick a few stories from the week and just talk about uh, football generally. Uh, obviously, yeah. with the the championship and the Premier League season finishing. Uh, we're, first of all, we're going to talk about the teams which finished in the top four in the Premier League uh, and just talk about their seasons, how we think they did. Uh, so we'll start with uh, we'll start with the champions, uh, Liverpool. Yeah, I'll leave. What do you? How do you think they did? I think they're well. They were amazing. I think they deserved uh, winners of the Premier League. They were very consistent. Um, they show that on the on the world stage as well when the pressure up is against them. And I think, you know, I think if, if lockdown didn't happen, I think they would have probably, you know, been in, in full flow then. I don't think that helped them with the, uh, with the flow of things when they came back. Um, but I think, yeah, they're deservingly winners. I think they, they showed that showed how, how good they've been and and um, they, were, they were the best team in the league by far last last season. Yeah, they were the most consistent for sure. I um I was desperately petitioning to have the league cancelled for throughout lockdown, but it didn't happen. Um, <laughs> Andy, what did you think about Liverpool? They were the uh, consistency for me. I think. Yeah, was, I, no, I think I, I think it's key. You know, I think the, the the times that Liverpool have let themselves down has always been against the lesser sides, and this year they had the consistency against the lesser teams, and they were ruthless against them as well. Where 
I think years ago, you know what I mean? I'll, and I'll use when Suarez, when Benjamin Rodgers was the manager, 3 0 up or 3 1 up and they draw 3 all. That never happened this season because they've just got something, they've got something else. And I, listen, I'm going to probably put it out. I'm not going to put it out there. I'm not going to sit on the fence. For me, the teams that didn't win the league for Liverpool were probably a stronger side than what Liverpool have got now. You know what I mean? The Suarez, the, the Stevie G's, you know, that I look back at certain groups of players and, 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 Stevie G's is the prime example that how he hasn't won the Premier League is beyond me. You know that he deserved it more than anybody. But and then you look at Jordan Henderson, uh, and for me, they're not, they're not in the same league. But he's won the Champions League and he's won the Premier League, and he obviously could win more and more coming up. So you know, what I mean, fair play to them. You know, what I mean, they've had a fantastic season, but they're going forward, they're ex- they're excellent. And for me, the fullbacks make them tick. Uh, Trent on one side, you've got Robinson on the other, and. You know, I mean, when you've got fullbacks like playing like wingers, you've you've got an opportunity to 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 bomb on teams and really overpower them. And I think that's what they've done for a majority of the season. I think they bought they bought well. Didn't they they bought well, didn't they? The the spine of their yeah. team with Allison and, and Van Dyke, where they didn't have that before. They were always lacking, you know, world class centre back and the goalkeepers. The situation they let they, you know, they didn't sort that out for a long period of time. I think that cost them um, when Suarez and Stevie G was there. Um, but I think they're definitely by far a stronger squad now than when, when uh, Gerard and Suarez are there. Yeah, well, you've just said there, mate, haven't you, for me, uh, about certain positions. You know, the, obviously the goalkeeper makes a huge part of uh, of making everyone feel comfortable. You know, I mean, the spine of the team that uh, Virgil van Dijk, you know what I mean, to, to bring in somebody of his class and bring a goalkeeper of Alisson's class, uh, just it, 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 how can you fail? You know, the, the Spaniard yeah. team is sorted out. You've got your Jordan Henderson. Um, imagine if you could throw a Stevie G in, in, in that mix as well it'd just be unstoppable and, and, and Man City and other teams are going to have to spend big in the summer uh, in order to close the gap because obviously Man City are losing David Silva and, uh, and, and obviously the, the questions over certain other players but um, they've got an opportunity to to close the gap but it's going to cost them and you know what I mean I look at Tottenham miles away even Man United you know what I mean that the, just the inconsistency of sides and and also I won't 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 like me for saying that but consistency is key and it's not about beating Liverpool once you know what I mean it's about winning the other yeah. thirty seven games yeah the thing is with Liverpool as well is they haven't got like um they haven't really got like one superstar they've just got a squad of very very good players there's no like one player where you think oh wow he's unbelievable, like a Suarez or a Gerrard or a Coutinho or someone who they've had previously. I think they've got a more overall squad, arguably, than, like, if you look at Man City, they've got De Bruyne and a couple of others, and you've got, like, Pogba and Fernandes and the United, Chelsea, the same. But with Liverpool, it just seems like a more rounded and balanced squad. I think they've got the most balanced team out of any of the uh, sides in the top four, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so Man City finished second. Um, what went wrong for them this year, do you think, David? Um, I think, you know, a couple of key, uh, key positions. Um, they had injuries at the wrong time. They just didn't really... I don't think really they got the uh, the pairing right with the centre-backs. I think they, they lacked there with the injuries. And I think that kind of cost them in the end. And again, with games they were going into, they were winning the, the previous seasons com- comfortably. They were slipping up, and they didn't have that last season. Um, but I think since coming down from the, coming down, uh, back from the lockdown, the way they've played is just, you can just sense that the philosophy was just in, instilled them right through off. I think they've come back and they've looked really, really good. I, me personally, I, I fancy Man City to win the league next year. I think De Bruyne is just hmm. by far the best player in the league. 
Do you think it's helped him, David, with um, with obviously the, the the European ban being lifted? You know, obviously, that, that, would that have had an impact on keeping the best players? I think so, yeah, because you want to play in the Champions League. All the best, all the best players at the big clubs they want to play in the Champions League week in, week out. So I think that does have a, a massive boost to, for them, and they'll obviously keep attracting the big names because you know most most players will be looking to come to the Premier League. They want to play for Man City. I, th- I think one thing that I, I think that Man City have struggled with a little bit, and and it's it's, it's Aguero that he's he hasn't played as much as he as he, as he has done in previous years, and I don't know if that's fitness at that age or if that's just the manager going down a different route of going a lot a, a, a lot more pace in the side with having uh, um, Gabriel Jesus and Sterling etc. But do they need a, a number nine, someone who can lead the line and have and have run it off them? Yeah, I think so. I think Jesus is um, you know. He's a great player as well. But I think, you know, obviously replacing Aguero, players like him are hard to come by. So when they don't play, you realise, you know, what you're missing. And he would decide games at the the last seconds or any given moment where you have a tight game, bang, you're just pulling in the top corner. And that's the, that's what separates the difference yeah. where I think where he has been injured. And it again, with key positions, you know, centre-back and then Aguero, you do... That does then, you know, end up costing you for the, for the league titles. It's, it's just small little percentages that you miss out on. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, third was Manchester United. Um, I think if you'd given Man United fans third position at the start of the league, uh, at the start of the season, you'd, they'd have probably snapped your hands off. Um, i got to be honest, I think if they didn't sign Fernandes in January, I don't think they're anywhere near the top four. Um, but, you know, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. They've got a very young squad. Oh, he's, um, made it, he's made, a, he's made big, a huge... Big achievement for Solskjaer and Jacken to get that um... Oh, massive! Yeah, I think it's a huge achievement. But I also feel so for Leicester City as well, though, because I think with the the run they were on before lockdown, they're they're probably the team, along with probably Sheffield United and Wolves, who've who've been hit the most by uh, by what happened. Because I don't think nobody would have caught them because they were playing well, they were in form, the good players were coming to the table. They didn't have any injuries like other teams had. You know what I mean? So the teams have been able to regroup, and I and I do feel so for them. But Man United, obviously, the the, the, the won the game yesterday, which 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 got fourth place and. And probably deserved it yesterday. I thought they were they did a, they did a professional job and did enough to beat to beat to beat a I'd probably say a struggling Leicester City on the day yesterday. Yeah, I think so, David. What did you think? Did you think Solskjaer's done a good job so far? Yeah, I do. I think he's definitely he's been given a, a longer period of time to you know implement his philosophy and how he wants the players to to play a certain way. And um, I think he's. He's been given the time, and they've also um, brought the right youth coming through. Like Greenwood's, is literally on fire, isn't he? Really, he's like a yeah. very exciting player, and I, you know, he proves that he's a natural goal scorer. Which is, mm. you know, he's just hit hit the ground when as soon as he comes to the first team. You got Rashford, Martial, the the front three are a proper threat. Threat. The only thing that I that disappointed me was is that. You know, when they had the chance to get to the final of the FA Cup, they then rested a few players with obviously one eye on the, the Champions League. And I just thought, mm. well, you've just come back from lockdown. Is a, a game or two is not going to hurt extra. Yeah. Um, so from that point, I thought you should just go on for it because, you know, at the end of it, on your CV, it's not going to say, well, you made Champions League football in third position, You, but then you go on your CV, you won a cup. So I think they should maybe try to win a cup and back themselves to make the top four. I totally agree. I, I, I think as well the way the way that like the way the game panned out and the way obviously the the game before panned out with with Man City getting beat by Arsenal for me it would have been a, a no brainer to, to to change tactics or change things last minute and, and as a manager just say right listen change your plan we're going this way 
You know what I mean? The big hitters are in. We, we, it's, it's Man, Man United's only real opportunity. We, I, I, they are playing in the Europa League, aren't they? Still, is that is that right? Am I right? Yeah. right with that. So obviously, yeah, they've still got an opportunity to go to, go, to to win something this season. But for me, that was a perfect opportunity. A semi-final against a young Chelsea side, inexperienced in in those kind of situations. And and for me, they played into Frank's hands. And when Frank must have seen the team sheet, he must have been just delirious about about what he's seen in front of him. And just and and, and he must have given the, the Chelsea players a real boost. To see what was in front of them because they just they were Man City were really out of the depth. Yeah, because United were on fire as well, weren't they? They, they? they had great rhythm. They were playing really well. They yeah. were exciting. They now exciting again to watch. Whereas before, I used to watch them under Mourinho, and I was just like just boring. Whereas now, you think that they can hit people on the counter attack and they just can mm. punish you like like they could back in the day, you know, with Rooney yeah. and Ronaldo yeah, yeah. to break. Um, so they are they're getting a lot better and exciting to watch. Um, I just I feel that they do need to um, add to the squad then just to kick them on again for the next season because yeah. if you if you look if you have um, injuries to a couple of those players they're not they're nowhere near as strong as the others. I totally agree, and and, and you just nailed you hit the point on the head there about uh, about resting players and and players having enough time off and and I think listen you know what I mean that that surely the players weren't physically and mentally tired enough to play in a, in a semi final if you're going to rest them rest them in the league game because. You know what I mean? It was always going to go down to the last game of the season. Before that, you know what I mean? You could always you could work yeah. it out, and you know what I mean. They could have had to go instead of not having to lose this last game of the season against Leicester. They would have had to win it if they hadn't won the last game previously. So for me, I think he's got his his ideas and his and his team selection all wrong. And I, and would it have been different if um, if supporters had been there? You reckon? Would would you, would you pick the different team? I don't think he would have. No, I think he. You know he. It, the eyes and the prize were basically on on the Champions League football because the Champions League getting into Europe now is it's just so, it's worth so much to the football clubs and it attracts all the best players. So mm. the argument would be, well, you're going to attract more players making Champions League football rather than missing out and, and winning the FA Cup. So from that point yeah. of view, he's probably thinking, well, it's it's, it's paid off. The thing totally is, agree. for me, they don't sign Jaden Sancho if they don't get to the Champions League. Pogba probably leaves, whereas. I know people slag Pogba off, but for me, if I feel quite sorry for him because until Fernandez come, he hasn't really had any midfield players around him who are any good. So unless he does something special, it's, he's you know it's he's very isolated a lot. So I'd quite like to see what he can do with a two good midfielders alongside him. Whether that happens, I I, you know. I love Pogba. I love him. I do, does it annoy you? Does it annoy you, Lord David, when you when you hear the criticism he gets? Because listen, the the, the fellow's won numerous titles. He's won the World he's won Cup. the World Cup. So how can how can this this boy this man be a bad footballer if he's won all them all them kind of things? I know it's crazy. Well, it, people just they, they have their opinions and they're entitled to him. I think because he's so good and he has that laid back approach, it kind of comes across as like an arrogant way, or he doesn't care. But Look, you don't get to the top and you don't win the many, many titles unless you care. No. So he, he's proved himself over and over again. At the World Cup, I thought he was unbelievable. And mm. he's gone, obviously, and won it with France. I just think that, um, you know, maybe sometimes on the consistency basis where sometimes in the big games, you want him to turn up and he goes missing a couple of times. But again, if if you've got no one around you supporting you in that way, you can't do it on your own. So, but for me, I'm a huge fan of him. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I think good players, you know what I mean, can't do it on their own. You know what I mean? You, you named Aguero and you named De Bruyne and yes, they're world-class footballers, but they've got to have players around them. They can't do it on their own. And I go back to Stevie yeah. G point to Stevie G was world-class, but because he didn't have the kind of players what Liverpool have got now around him, that that's where they let themselves down at times. And you know what I mean? It's 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 such a fine line between 
world success than just than just having some slight success. Yeah, yeah it's 100%. What, um, what do we think about Chelsea's uh, season with a very, very young squad, a very young manager, you know, really coming in for only his second job uh, to get fourth place? I think when you look where Leicester were, I think Chelsea did add a pretty... I think they had, again, given that at the start of the season, they'd probably take it. What do you reckon, Ant? Uh, I think if I think we we we, we spoke about it quite uh, freely on the show that obviously he left less if left uh, Derby County last year I mean, and I think nobody expected him to have the, the success that he had you know he's obviously gone to a to a huge club from where he was at Derby um, he hasn't really invested he's brought in a couple of younger players who he had on loan at Derby Mason Mount for one um, he's obviously played uh, Tammy Abraham a lot more um, I think he's played what fifteen I scored fifteen or sixteen goals. Listen, he's, he's, he's growing into, a, slowly growing into a, a very good manager and, and something that Chelsea can obviously work with going on uh, in the future. And, 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 and will Frank be dangerous with money? Potentially will be because he's got his ideas. Obviously, they've signed uh, a couple of players, um, Werner for one, um, and they've obviously signed an, an, a lad from Ajax as well on a, on a free transfer. So they could be dangerous next year. They could, uh, I think they'll be a little bit better than they were this year. Uh, I think they'll be more expansive. They'll be a lot more attacking. Um, and I think it'll be it'll be a really interesting thing to see. But also, with buying players, brings a little bit of pressure as well. So if he doesn't succeed, he could be under a little bit of pressure as well. What's quite interesting is Lampard and Solskjaer both seem to have quite a similar ideology in terms of who they want to sign. They both seem to want to sign very young, uh, young players who they can you know potentially sell on in the future. But also like a British core. Uh, Johnny West just said in the comments there, Mason Mount's been one of the best in the league. Um, I don't know if I'd say he's been one of the best in the league, but I think he's been outstanding for uh, such a young guy to uh, to really push on in his first full season, really, in the Premier League. Yeah, he's technically uh, excellent as well. Technically, technically superb. Yeah, he did. He had a very good game yesterday. I thought that his assists yesterday and... Um, I thought he scored as well. I think didn't he score the first goal? I think he was yeah. he was excellent yesterday. Yeah, it's free um, kick, wasn't it? Yeah, I th- yeah, I agree. I think I think in terms of you know they had the, the transfer ban and they've gone in there, got to an FA Cup final and they made the top four. He's done. A, I think he's done a very good job. Mm. Yeah, totally. Agree. I kind of couldn't have expected much more. I don't think. No. Um, so moving to the other end of the table. Uh, I'm going to have a little bit of a rant here because um, <laughs> Aston, so Aston Villa stayed up. But in the I know where I know where this is coming. I know first where this is or coming. second game after lockdown. First game. The VA. It was the first game, wasn't it? It was the first game. First ever game. Uh, of first all ever the game. games. First after ever game. the restart, there was a goal. The game finished nil nil. It was a goal, and the goal line technology. Kind of. Still nil. Still nil side. Don't worry. Um, and my stream is probably like five minutes behind it as well. Um. So, uh, the other team had a goal disallowed because the goal line technology didn't work. Now, to me, I said at the time, you can't have that. You may as well bin it. But now, that goal has meant that Villa stayed up because that point, if they'd, if they'd lost that game 1-0, uh, they would have gone down and not Watford, who was the other team which went Bournemouth. down. Bournemouth. Bournemouth would have stayed, Bournemouth up. Would have stayed up. Listen, now, Paul Merson. Paul Merson, did, Paul Merson did an interview on it yesterday uh, on uh, Soccer Saturday, and he was bang on. And it just doesn't sit right. He's an ex-Villa player, uh, but you've obviously got to play by the rules. And yeah. why? Why in that game didn't the referee 
even a minute later on, just stop the game and just say, listen, there's been a goal. You know what I mean? We've got to stop the game. It's a goal. A goal's a goal. You know what I mean? Can't wait till half time and just and then go, oh, my watch wasn't working. Oh, hang on a minute. It's just buzzed and said it's 1 0. It's just, it's laughable. You know what I mean? The VAR are there for a reason. They're there to pick up on things that, that the linesmen and people don't see. Forget goal nine technology. It's, it's, it's irrelevant when you've got somebody watching a game in a, in, a, in a studio. It's absolutely irrelevant. You know what I mean? For me, I've got a bigger problem with that. You know what I mean? Sorry about the run, David, but. Um, the linesman. What on earth is the linesman doing? <laughs> he might as well not be there. You know what I mean? He's he's waiting for he's waiting for the he's waiting for the watch to buzz. He's waiting for the VR to overrule him. Just, just give the decision. goal. Give the goal. You stood on the touchline. Give the goal. I just Stupid. do you know what I don't with the, the VAR stuff. I feel that whereas before the referees and the linesmen were making the decisions and they needed obviously the help. That's why the VR, VAR has been brought in, but. I feel that they've, I wouldn't say lazy is the right word, but I think they're not taking responsibility where they expect to show off. We miss it, VAR will pick it up, and then it's yeah. getting, yeah. and then it's just getting And mistakes. then they're not making decisions, though, are they? They're yeah, like, they're not, they're not they're making decisions. They're leaving it. Like, I like it when the referee goes over to the side of the pitch, looks at the monitor, yeah. then reevaluates the situation, say, right, that's a goal, or it's not. And then that's fine. That's all that, that people yeah. are asking That's what they're supposed to do. If not, you're basically just getting referee by someone in a stadium, so, well, so, a room somewhere else who's calling mm. the shots. Where, But I, I disagree with uh, what you said, Si, really, because, um, you know, we all played in seasons where we could say, well, if we got given a penalty because the referee didn't miss, we wouldn't have got relegated or we wouldn't have, would have won the league. So it's always going to be yeah, the same. It's always going to keep the arguments and this ifs and buts yeah. in the games. Mm. I, I I I do I do agree. I just I just think I'm starting. I'm starting to wonder. Size raging um, off me. <laughs> I am starting to wonder. I am starting to wonder about uh, about referees and linesmen. What's what's the point? You know what I mean? Like David just said there about about somebody in a studio. And for me, get back to basics. Let the ref referee the game. If there's a if there's a, a question mark on the decision, let him go at the side. You know what I mean? It happened, it happened um, a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, and make a decision. You know that. Um, it's it's just going to happen, and 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 for me, it's only the, it's only it's the only way forward for football to move on with a consistent oh, yeah. VAR. What's the point in it? Like, oh. what's like doesn't help Bournemouth, does it? Like, Bournemouth are relegated. Now, I I do agree with you to a certain extent, David, because at the end of the day, if it, if they if in that game it goes to one nil, uh, Villa will change the way they play. So there's nothing to say that it would have finished one nil because it would have been a different game, but. From Bournemouth's point of view, that goal has cost them. Yeah. Um, and now, I know. in hindsight, yeah. When you look at yeah, it hi- with Cardiff and but... as well, when Cardiff yeah. had that, those offside goals against Chelsea, you know, all Cardiff fans were saying, "Go out to the re- linesman and the referee missed that. If not for that, we'd have stayed up." Blah blah blah. But I think this is different because the technology's there. Now, if the Hawkeye technology doesn't work, fine. But there's two linesmen, a referee. And a video assistant referee, somebody has got to get that right and call it back and just say, "Hang on a minute, the tech, something's not working." That's a goal. I agree. I agree about that decision side, but I'm, I'm, I'll throw the I'll throw the other other side of the coin on. Um, so Bournemouth got relegated because they haven't been good enough this season. You know what yeah, I mean? Why Why did it take Bournemouth up to the Leicester City game to start winning games or start trying looking like they wanted to win games for me earlier on in the season? They just got they just got turned over, tickled, Eddie and, and just got laughed at. Because you know what I mean, and 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 what I don't get is, um, is why teams, same as Watford, you know that the Watford didn't get relegated at, at, at Arsenal yesterday. Watford got relegated because they lost too many games in thirty-eight games. Yeah, you know what I mean. The supporters need to understand that. And and this is me being ruthless. This is me being anti-Watford. Love Troy Deeney. Love Nigel Pearson. Leicester, uh, Watford got relegated a little bit when they when they got rid of their manager with two games to go when they were safe. 
So they've lost the games under a caretaker manager. That, that's had a bigger impact than anything for me. You know what I mean? And I think uh, sometimes it gets overshadowed, which is sad. But Yeah, it's, it's like you're right. Bournemouth haven't been good enough, um, which kind of takes me on to something I wanted to ask you about. I saw a really interesting tweet. I'm not going to spend too long on this because it's just something I saw earlier. So this guy said um, he didn't understand basically why Eddie Howe who's just taken Bournemouth down after spending a boatload of money for this, for a club their size. Um, but yeah, he's being praised as one of the best young English managers around. Should he get, you know, should he get a big job? Should he, you know, we should move on from Bournemouth. Um, and I hadn't really thought of it that way. And I hadn't really seen many people saying that sort of thing. And I kind of went into the tweet and I actually, looked at some of the comments and there was quite a few people who, who do kind of agree that he didn't do very well at Burnley and he and he's just taken Bournemouth down. Now, for me, he took Bournemouth from what, League Two or something? Mm. To the Premier League, then kept yeah. him in the Premier League for six seasons or whatever it is. To yeah. me, that's a very, very good job for a club that size. But I said to you about a month ago, and I think it was, that he looks like he's had enough and he looks like it's probably the right time to move on. Possibly, possibly, possibly now, but, but, is, um, sorry, the tweets... that, is he overrated is what I was going to ask you as well. Um, well I think you just answered your own question with, with, um, a good job with getting promoted from league two all the way to the Premier League and keeping him in the, in the Premier League for that long. A good manager doesn't, isn't able to do that. You know what I mean? And, and I don't think he spent a lot of money before these last couple of seasons. I think, Eddie Howe struggled with the money he spent over the last couple of seasons. I've had the demise when he spent more money. The players who he's done well with are the players he's tried and tested with. And um, for me, when um, when you've, he's bang right, by the way, guys. Um, mm-hmm. When the 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 when they lost Matt Ritchie, people like Matt Ritchie, who who the manager knew, but he can't keep them because they want to go and earn a lot more money at Newcastle, say it, so to speak. Um, to answer your question, is he overrated? No, I would like him to move to a bigger and better club and, and give him, and test himself out. I think Burnley was a different thing. I don't know the ins and outs of Burnley, but I do know that I, I did hear that he was homesick and certain things were happening uh, in his private life. So, you know mm. what I mean? I think you've got to take that with um, obviously in, in consideration and, and give him the opportunity to to do what's right for his, for his family. And he went straight to Bournemouth, hit the ground running, got promoted, promoted into the Premier League and, 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 and he, cream always rises. He'll be back. He'll be back, definitely. Would he get the same, would he have the same reputation if he was Italian, is he? Oh, do you know does what? He, is he only highly rated because he's an English young manager, which we're no, you know, which people I, are crying out for? I disagree with all the like the comments there saying he's not a good manager. It's just a load of bollocks because that's just typical of the U, of the of the media or anything in the UK is that we we just forget all the positives and all the great things he's done. We just focus on the one negative thing. Oh, he's just been relegated, but we just forget about the times he just got him promoted from yeah. League Two. It's a load. Of, it's a load of shit. Been in the mm. Premier League for five seasons, but exactly. Um, he's, he's taken. Yeah. He's taken a, a small club from Bournemouth. Kept him in the Premier League for five years. He's done a great job. Um, mm. So just because he's been relegated, they've had they've had an off season. But in the Premier League, you don't get many chances. You it's an unforgiven no. league. No. And this ruthless. No. It's ruthless. No, no, and and this is and this is my point with um, with the journalists and, and people who decide. And social media, obviously, we're going to go, we're going to we're going to touch on that soon. And and people write things on social media to get a reaction and get all these retweets and get likes and things. And and I, I'm not a big fan and big big advocate of it because for me, you're talking about someone who's just been relegated. There'll be nobody hurting yesterday more than Eddie Howe, a Birmingham fan, player, chairman. Eddie Howe will be absolutely devastated because. 
he'll take it to heart. And and I guarantee you, he's the kind of man who will, off, who will have offered his uh, his resignation yesterday and it'll got turned down because they want to keep him. And the only way for Bournemouth to get back up next, se- next season is to have Eddie Howe as manager. And if somebody else takes him and, and gives him an opportunity, then so be it. But for me, if Eddie Howe's in, uh, in, in, in the hot seat next year at, at Bournemouth, I'd, I'd put them in the top six all day long. Yeah, he definitely get, gets the you know deserves the chance to get have another go. He shouldn't be sacked. Give him see how he yeah. goes in the championship next season for yeah. sure. But if he leaves, then if he leaves and goes to yeah, a bigger, bigger and better club, that's that's up to him. But I don't believe he yeah. will. I think he I think he owes I think he owes Bournemouth now for the next season. I think um, Nathan Aki goes now. Ah, uh, listen, sir, there's going to be an exodus from all three clubs who come down, and and that's that's the the downside of being a, a relegated. Premier League club that that those players want to play back in the Premier League, but are they good enough because they've just been relegated? It's a it's a catch twenty two. You know what I mean? Who's going to take them? Are the are the clubs going to price them out? It's a it's a it's a game of cat and mouse. And someone some some of them will get really good moves. Ake will get a good move. Uh, probably Wilson will probably leave. Um, Josh King will probably get a move. So they've you know I mean? they're going to generate a lot King's of money. Already gone. Yeah, they're going to generate a lot of money, but they've obviously got to fill those gaps as well. What about Jack Grealish with Villa staying up? What do you think he does now? Um, I personally believe that he should he should move on. I think he, he's tested himself in the Premier League. I think he's at the he's at a good age now where he needs to further his career because well, we know everyone knows Villa is a is a big club and a, and a great club. Um, but I think he's ready for that next stage now. Just you know to take him to the next level where he is you know. Man United, I know Man United look at him, or there's talk of it. So I think he just he does need to get him get out there, test himself a bit more because he'd be looking to get into the England squad. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally, I totally agree. Sorry for me. I think he's he's been there now. He's wore the t-shirt. He's earned his stripes now to go and to go and progress onto a bigger and better club. You know, when uh, the Tottenham bid was rejected a few years ago, it hit him really hard. And um, I think he's for his own development now, for his own England aspirations, he's got to move. Playing in a midfield with Pogba and Fernandez is only going to do him good if he was to go to United, for instance. Do you know what I mean? Training with those yeah. type of players every week, that's yeah. going to do his England aspirations. The world yeah. are good. And plus, having Martial, Rashford, Sancho, whoever, Greenwood in front of you, you know, gives you more options to than what he's got at Villa. In terms but he's, of, but he's also, si, he's also got to sign for the right club. Yeah, he's got to play, haven't he? You know what I mean? He's got to play because there's no there's no point signing for another team and being a being a big fish in a little pond. You yeah. know what I mean? He's got to, he's got to go and play. If he goes and signs for Man City, for example, and makes makes that mistake like other players have done, he's not going to play. So he'll yep. play as and when, but he needs to go and then, play football. But then if he goes signs for Newcastle, for example, who gets a big takeover, loads of money, you know what I mean? Because that's another, that's another option, by the way. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? It's a difficult it's a difficult one, isn't it? You know what I mean? Is, Do you think is, he should be looking for a Champions League club though? Really. I think he needs to be playing. He needs to play in Europe, doesn't he? He needs to play in Europe. If that's Tottenham, or if that's Man United, or if that's Chelsea, he needs to be playing for me in in one of the top six. Yeah, indeed. Um, and then lastly, we've got the teams coming up from the Championship. So Leeds and West Brom, and then one of four. Um, Andy, how do you think Leeds will do? Back in the Premier League, where you know, arguably they did they, they belong. Never let it be said that we're anti Leeds. They do, they do. They're a big club. Um, fan base, fan base is unbelievable. 
Um, and I, how are they going to do it? I can only judge them on what I've seen them this season against Premier League sides. And I watched them against Arsenal in the FA Cup and I thought they were absolutely outstanding and Can't should have been... Should have been Arsenal um, in the first half, but they just couldn't score. I think one thing that um, they'll struggle with, and 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 yes, I'll, I'll go back on the social media. Somebody put a tweet on, and I think it was Talk Sport about Paddy Bamford. That um, the question was, is he good enough to to play in the Premier League? And Paddy obviously responded straight away in his in his usual humorous like, and um, and just said it starts it started already because that's what he's like, and he and he's had it all his career that he's he's never been given though an opportunity in the Premier League to do it week in week out. I remember um, that. He left Middlesbrough to go and sign for Norwich. Uh, didn't get promoted to Norwich. Dropped back down the Championship with Middlesbrough. They got promoted. He moved on again. He went back to Chelsea. Um, he's dropped back down in the Championship. So he's a very, very good Championship player. But is he? Um, is he going to be good enough to uh, to move um, move on in the Premier League? Yeah. Have you heard anything about Cameron Cox and Man City mid? Um, I've been talking to him. He, he, if, if if that's true, he's he's not he's not told me that. He's not sharing. He's not. He's not. Uh, listen, I've, talk, I've I spoke to him. I spoke to him uh, over the last month, uh, and I, t- I talked to his dad uh, a little bit, um, and I know he got released by Cardiff City, and yeah. which which shocked me massively, by the way, because uh, yes. obviously he's a very very good player. He's obviously the future's bright. He's he's um, he's got an opportunity in his in his football career, and um, obviously I, I offered to help him out and and just be a shoulder to. To cry on, so to speak. Not that he was upset, by the way, but I just wanted to give him an opportunity to help him out. Um, but no, he's, if he has, then that's the best kept secret in the world. <laughs> well, I hope he has. Yeah, hundred percent. I hope he has. Shall I text him now, and then we'll find out, and it's exclusive yeah. on here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so for me, uh, out of those two teams who are definitely coming up to the championship, I think West Brom are more equipped now. So if the season started tomorrow and they didn't sign any players, I think West Brom are more equipped for the Premier League than Leeds are. Um, I think Leeds are very good going forward. However, I'm unsure if Paddy Paddy Bamford is a Premier League striker who's going to go and bag 20 goals for him each year. Um, And I also have worries about their central defence, whereas West Brom, on paper, look quite solid all around the park and they've got that bit of quality in Pereira, and uh, a couple of others. David, what do you think about the, the two of them going up? Um, I disagree with you. I think Leeds are better equipped to, for the style of and the philosophy that Bielsa implements. I think that the way they, they have things going at Leeds, I like the way they play a lot better than any other team in the Championship. And oh, I yeah, think so they, do I, by the way. Um, I just think, yeah, I think they're more equipped. I think they got a very good manager there. I'm not saying Billich is not a great manager, but... I think West Brom, in terms of the whole club, um, they're like a yo-yo, really. They get promoted, then they go back down, then they get promoted, yeah. then they go back down. I think Leeds, as well, with the, the fan base that they have and with the ownership, I think they will be definitely um, investing to bring in better players as well, with more experience in the Premier League. So, I think, yeah, Leeds will definitely be well-equipped, whether they bring in more players now or not, or if they went into the season right this second. I think Leeds, I would fancy staying at more than West Brom. I, I just think, think, Leeds, I just will, think Leeds will score goals, won't they? The, the I just, I just think, I just think Bielsa has more in his armory, really. Whereas, like, if the game's going against him, he'll like then bring something else out. Whereas, like, I think um, he's got more tactical now than Village. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Bielsa. I wanted him at Cardiff when Malky Mackay left. 
you know, do you know what? what? Do you know, do you know, do you know, he's coming across I, I, a little bit bitter, you know. In by the way, yeah. you know, he's, like, he's not he's hey, not you know, one. Oh, I am 100 bitter. I am very bitter. I feel right now. I feel like I feel like I'm a I feel like I'm a referee in the middle here between you two. That's what I feel like. I feel like I'd I'd rather I'd rather sit and have like three different opinions than than like one of us say something and then go oh yeah yeah I agree. And and that's the good thing about. That's a good thing about football, law and I, and, I, and I love the opinions, and, and we can all have a have a debate and go on. I've got some uh, breaking news, by the way, because Cameron's just Cameron Cox back. is signed for Man City. <laughs> no, he hasn't. <laughs> he hasn't signed for Man City. He said just, just I won't, I won't, uh, I won't read what he's what he said, but it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> he, he wishes 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 Exclusive. Yeah, not true. Not true. Not true. Exclusive. Uh, David, who is going to go up from the playoffs in the championship? Do my honest opinion? Do you know what? Don't don't say it. I I really (laughs) didn't think that Swansea were going to make the playoffs. When I had an interview a few weeks ago, just after lockdown, I thought Cardiff were well-equipped to make it to the playoffs. They're really, really strong. They've been there, seen it, done it. Um, It's going to be a tough one. Who I think, I think Brentford will overturn the Swansea result at home. Um, but also Swansea got great, got good experience there. I I, I fancy. Um, do you know what I'm going to do? It fuck it. I'm going for it. Fulham and Swansea in the final of the playoffs. See, I said. I, uh, I, 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 I think s- it'll be Fulham Swansea in the playoff actually. But I, didn't. I think no, I Brentford said... are me- mentally shot. I do. I, really I, see, I said, I said Brentford. I said Brentford, Fulham. I just think, I, I just think both of them have got too much for over over two games. You know, on a one out, on a one off game, we seen the other day, one off game, man sent off. Things can change, and um, and Swansea can get a good result. But I think second leg, uh, listen, Griffin Park is, is is a different is a different place to go and play, uh, and I think Brentford will get at them, and I, and I do believe they'll score. So it's going to be a, a can Swansea get get at least a goal. Yeah, I yeah, I, so. I just think that's what you know. Swansea have got a few experienced players in there, where you know, like Routledge, Dyer, who they've they've had promotion before, so they do have that around yeah. them. I like, obviously, at the start of the season, they were playing very attractive football. Um, look, I want both Welsh clubs to do well, but I, I find I want Swansea to do well because I've played there before. I want Cardiff to do well because I'm from Cardiff, but yeah. I just think Fulham are the strongest teams in the in, strongest yeah, team yeah. in the playoffs, and Cardiff, unfortunately, yeah. are going up against them. Yeah, well, I've said this all along. You know, I mean, today's an important game. It's I, I wouldn't say it's must it's must we must win because you can't afford to lose in a playoff game first leg. You know, what I mean, you've got to still be in it for the second leg. But yeah, then, then when you go down to Craven Cottage, when you go down to Craven Cottage, for me, if you can go down there with a clean slate and you can use it as a one-off game as a cup final, you've got you've got a slight chance. But if Fulham take a result down at Craven Cottage, I do fear for Cardiff massively. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree, and um, uh, the other thing as well, Cardiff have, Cardiff have started quite well, better than I thought they were going to start. Yeah, they are. But, yeah. but, but um, do, you not, do you not think? Do you not I think don't see them beating Fulham over two legs is the thing. Do you not even think that's they get results down to down to personnel as well, though? That Neil Harris will be delighted when he sees that team sheet and sees oh, that some of the big hitters aren't playing. So you know, I mean, this is a this is an opportunity now to win a game. You've got to go for it because next week, well, next week's game, this week's game, they they might all be back. So you've got to make yeah. sure that you take a yeah. result to. To, to the Craven, to Craven Cottage because two weeks ago we watched the game on Friday night after the show and it was absolutely oh, it was hard watch it was a hard watch it was a it was, it was an upsetting upsetting evening yeah but 
you know, you take like Cardiff would probably take a draw, but like if you can go to Craven Cottage with like a one nil victory or a two one victory, I think that sets it up nicely. But I just Fulham have got so many quality players going forward. Yeah. Um, what did you think of that red card yesterday, then, lads? Because uh, a few people in the chat were saying they didn't think it was a red. Um, I'm just, I, I, I listen, the ref, the ref he hasn't got he hasn't got VAR to help him out, so he's made a split decision what he saw on the on the day. I, I'm not sure if he's been looked at today, but I thought it would have been. I thought it would have got overturned. So I'm I'm still expecting it to get overturned. I'm still expecting them to attempt to to appeal it and get it overturned. But and that's not me being biased. Red, I just uh, think. Do you think, it was, think it was a bit harsh? Um, if you want me to lie, I'd say I think it's a bit harsh. But if you want my honest answer, I was playing daddy daycare, so I didn't even see it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, I thought it was a bit harsh, but I thought Swansea were the better team as well. So, no, they deserve, yeah, deserve to win on the, on the day. Yeah, and they missed a penalty. They, they, they deserve to win. So, you know what I mean? They've, got, they've given themselves a great opportunity to go to Wembley. So let's, and he's done, a, yes. he's done a good job as well, the manager there. I think a lot of yeah, you know, where he's yeah. come from with um, yeah. the, young, the young English squad, everyone's like writing him off straight away. But he's, he's proved that he, he's got what it takes to, to be a championship manager. And he's done really, really well there. And um, yeah. he's got a great group of lads there as well. And it's nice to see that the philosophy is back to how it was a few years ago with the, the style yeah. of play. And, and listen, you know what I mean? We're not anti-Swansea on here that... Um, I, I love the way that they play. I love the way. Really, they get you, down the, you two, you two were card all for Cardiff before I jumped on it. You know that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I, do, I do love the way that they play football, and I, and I think they lost that. Um, they lost that philosophy uh, a couple of seasons ago, and it and it and I think they lost the the, the way that the, the way that they looked. They lost their identity, and and it just it wasn't a pretty watch. And I think the demise of Swansea was 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 quite a, a happy thing in Cardiff and for Cardiff fans to watch. And, um, but now they've got their mojo back and they're playing the, the football again and they've got the right people back in charge. And, um, and, and listen, if they don't go up this year, they'll, they'll, yes, they'll be disappointed. But I think, no, like you said, David, nobody expected them to get in the playoffs. They probably didn't expect it. But likewise, I, I said that today about Cardiff City. I, Cardiff, if Cardiff don't go up, don't see it as a, um, as a negative. See it as a positive that you've massively overachieved because you've sacked yeah, your Cardiff manager. Cardiff and Swansea have overachieved, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, the pressure... punching well above their weight. The pressure for me is on the other two, so let them let them battle it out and see if you can see if you can one of us can get get a uh, get a positive result. I'm glad, of to, one. I'm glad to see Sai is being really positive tonight about that. You know, Cardiff and, and all this going on. <laughs> well, no, no, I think they've done really well together. But I just when when you look at uh, look, Neil Harris has done a very very good job to get him to the playoffs. I didn't think he was the best choice for manager. I'm still not sure, but. You know, you can't fault the results and what he's done. He's no. done very well. The, the only thing we can't have, Si, we can't, we can't have a South Wales derby in the final because the last South Wales derby was absolutely horrific and can't, that, can't, that can't happen at Wembley because it was the worst game of football I've ever had to endure in my life. It was, just a, it was, it was the worst nil-nil draw I've ever seen in my life and I don't fancy watching that again. Do you know what? The, the thing is, though, is that they obviously make the final. It's going to be behind closed doors and it'll just be, imagine if it was a full house, the atmosphere would be incredible. Oh yeah, It'll just... awesome. and you know what? And that's probably why I don't want it to happen. Because if it, if I ever did want it to happen, I'd want it full to the brim. Full, yeah, and it just you know what I mean. Or even move it to the Millennium Stadium and just it'd just be you know what I mean. It would be, be rocking. Yeah, yeah, it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. It would be awesome. Just to, as much as I don't really want to play Swansea in the final because I don't think my nerves will take it. I actually think like Cardiff versus Swansea in the final, like in a full house at Wembley, would just be. 
you know, something special, which, you know, is unlikely to happen all too often. I just think it would be superb. Um, okay, and the last kind of story uh, which we were going to discuss is Wigan's relegation and administration. Um, I feel like I've had enough ranting so far today, Andy, already. So I'm gonna leave you. I'm gonna leave you to steer this conversation, mate. Uh, David, I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to know your thoughts. I've been very vocal about what Wigan have done and why they've done it, and the timing of why they did it. You know, it's a, obviously a business decision going into administration, but obviously it's now affected them massively, and uh, and it's going to have a, a, a really negative impact. But what's your thoughts on a why? Went into administration when they did uh, after lockdown, and, and B obviously, obviously the accumulation of relegation as well. I th- I'm, you know, I've listened to a lot of things on this, but I'm kind of, I think it's a shambles how owners are allowed to come in and then just get in trouble, then just shoot off mm. where they leave. Then they leave like the local communities and their football club in a lot of mm. tough times, really, because the only ones who are going to be affected by this are the players, all the staff yeah. behind the, the scenes who don't get mentioned, the fans, and all around mm. the local local area so i think from that point of view i think that the the fa the pfa whoever involved need to be a lot stricter on on the sense of who's buying these football clubs because yeah. you, you know they're just Stop coming in and re- they, usually, yeah so. they're just coming in they're just coming in and wrecking things really whereas obviously they've they've taken that to to go an administration which has eventually cost them um but maybe that's what they need to do to rebuild and sell on their player yeah. their better players to, to rebuild again and go go again in league one Mm. Um, obviously, when you played, was Dave Whelan the chairman when you were there, or was it yeah, Dave, took over? Yeah, Dave Whelan was the chairman there, and he was he was yeah. a good guy. We had you know very good people around the club who, who cared yeah. about the club, and that, that's the problem. You have some idiot owners come in, don't yeah. give a fuck about the club, and then they ruin it. Mm. Well, that's that's what upsets me now, though, because uh, because you've just said there, Dave Whelan, uh, and I, I met Dave a couple of times from because uh, Cardiff and uh, Cardiff and Wigan had a. Had a really good uh, good battle a few times, and um, and obviously got to speak to him quite a few quite quite on quite a few occasions. And I feel really sorry for him that he's he's built up this new stadium, built up a club from absolutely nowhere, and then all of a sudden now it's been ripped open and 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 just ruined. And you don't know where this is going to leave them because there's there's not just relegation. You know what I mean? Yes, they they might be in a better position financially because they're going in the administration. Someone's going to take over, but are the are the right people going to take over? Are they going to take over for the right reasons? Are they going to do well in League One next season? There's no guarantee. It's a horrible league. There's some massive sides in that league as well. They might go down again. It's just it's never ending, and uh, I do really fear for them because then they're, they're not the biggest of clubs. They don't get very. They're not very well attended. You know what I mean? It, obviously, rugby's there plays a, a huge part in, the, in in Wigan as a as, as a as a place, and I, I do I do hope for them because I've I've obviously I've, I've had some good battles with Wigan when. Um, when Jason Roberts and Nathan Allen used to play up front for them, and obviously Cav moved there, so I've had some really good times yeah. playing against them, and I, I do hope they get out of it, but I, I do massively feel for them. Here's um, one quick question from me to finish off on this, and then we'll go to some live chat questions. Um, do you think the EFL has managed the situation well, Andy? Which which situation? The the Wigan, Wigan one. And let yeah. me start by saying the EFL didn't even manage the the lockdown situation well. <laughs> so I want to have to think they're going to be a bit of sort of football club out. It's beyond me. The League Two, League One, and the and the, and the Championship don't even do the same thing. So how on earth are they, are they going to get owners right in a football club? Never ever happening. Never happening. They're, they're absolutely they're a shambles of an organisation, and they need to really look at themselves in the mirror and understand that um, that. 
the kind of thought of ruined football clubs. You've already lost Berry, you know what I mean? And Berry was a good club for me growing up. I had some really good times there in my early career. I played for England there um, and, and I played a few reserve games and, and the first team game there. I loved my time every time I played a good gig lane and absolutely devastated that that football club's not there anymore. And, and I have to see and hope that they can get back up. And I can't, we can't afford it to happen to somebody else, especially not a club like Wigan. And, and for me, the EFL and the, uh, and the Football League and maybe the Premier League as well, the teams and, and organisations have to take responsibility about what's going on. Yes. Well, so I your answer, your answer is no, basically. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> what about you, David? What do you think of the way that the EF, EFL kind of managed it all? Yeah, I agree. I just think I, it just comes comes down to it. all these organisations need to be coming together and just thinking, well, how are you letting these owners just come in and rip the clubs apart and just and then when it goes against them, just getting up and leaving, and they don't they're leaving the aftermath of all the people who care about the clubs to then build it back up. Um, so I think the restrictions and to get over these regulations need to be a lot lot tighter, really, because mm. owners are, are, for many years now have just come in, try to, they're using it as like a monopoly game, playing around with it, and if it doesn't work out, they just get off and leave and leave the covers a shambles. Yeah, I, th I think I think it's bang on, and I think the people are using it as a championship manager. They're thinking, I'm going to go in, we're going to get into the Premier League in our first year, and we're going to earn five hundred million pounds straight away. It's never going to yeah. happen. It's just, it's, it's it's ridiculous ideas, ridiculous business plan, and. And look where they are now. They're going to be in League One next season. Um, they're going to sell all the assets in the summer, probably cheaper than than they need to or they, or they should be doing. And, and they're going to lose some good players, young players, and potentially they're going to end up selling the ground or whatever. And it's just going to be a yeah. it's going to be heart, it's going to be a heartache. It's going to be especially for ex players as well. You know that it's going to be even worse for for the supporters, play, current players, ex players, and people who care. What do you say about owners? Um, is it the Watford owner? Who owns like two other football clubs? Like you, yeah, he owns what Watford, yeah. Udinese, and Granada. Like yeah. to me, I think that is absolutely ridiculous that you could own more than one professional football, um, like professional football club at the, in the top, you know, top tiers, like basically mm. of of any European league. I think that's ludicrous because you know if Watford get into Europe, like Europa League. What happens if they play Udinese? You can't. It, you can't assure that they're. They're what's called. I've forgotten the word, but like you can't assure that that's going to be fair and mm. and uh, all above board. It's impossible. It's I, I, yeah. I, I I do find that quite surreal. The rules from UEFA that you can you can you can't have that. You can't own two clubs in the same country. Obviously, then then you got you got the players moving from one country to another. You just passed along. You know what I mean? I know Watford have had a couple of players on loan from. Didn't Vincent um, Tan own another company, uh, another club as well? Thinking about it. I don't know. I don't know if he does. Yeah, sure he does. But but to be fair, it, listen, they're all they're all businessmen, and if if the business is in football, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather that owner though than than the owners at Wigan. So you know, it's a it's a cash twenty two. I'd rather somebody who cares and who wants to put the money in and do the right thing and own and own ten clubs than somebody who's using it as a joke. To mess yeah. it up. I agree. No, no comment. Um, <laughs> okay, let's have some questions from the live chat. There's a good question there on James James Costley. Start with that Hang one. On I, like, I like that. I like Hang that one. on a minute. I like do them in order, mate. Otherwise, oh, people get they get all sorry. They all get all stressy. Otherwise, sorry, James <laughs> start, start messaging me saying you haven't read my question. Right, <laughs> Richie says. Should Ryan Giggs call up Nico Williams to the Wales setup, ready for the Nations League as soon as possible to get him capped? David, what yeah, do you reckon? I, yeah, I think you should. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm not in doubt about that. I think you should get him in the squad because I remember when we did that with Harry Wilson before we got him in the squad. They didn't. I don't think he made any first team appearances. He was in the 21s for Liverpool, 
and we were just like, right, let's get in the squad, make sure he plays for Wales because otherwise England might nab him and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's important that you know Wales try and find the best young talents, and he's certainly proved that he is. So get him in there, give him a cap, and give him that experience. And to be quite honest, um, he'd be he'd be my first choice uh, right back. Yeah. I agree with that 100. Even even um, even with that even with that ridiculous red dyed hair now he's he, he, after the Liverpool game. To be honest, if if he if he play if he's been playing the way he has when I've seen him, then he can dye his hair wherever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, Andy, what was the question which you were referring to? Uh, James Costley's question. Uh, who's David? Who's been your most influential influential person in your life? Yeah. Um. In my life, I'd probably say my dad because he pushed me to always be better and always strive for, for better, I think. Um, I was telling my son this story, actually, the other day. And um, so I was watching a local game um, in Cardiff once. I was around about 10, 11 years of age. And I was watching um, a team there. And I said to my dad, look, if I don't make it to professional football, I can always play locally here for a team. He's like you're a disgrace that is like in other words that's not good enough goals he sent me to bed because i didn't because my dreams were not bigger than being just locally he can accept it so i think he always pushed me and he was always like he was my biggest critic but he was also my biggest my biggest fan as well so i think definitely my dad is my biggest influential person with that in terms of in the game um i think probably gary speed would always give me the, the best advice when i was his you know, teammate at sheffield united always took me under his wing uh, I, I agree with my my dad's on the chat right now. My dad uh, my dad's been critical of me probably all my life. He is on this show to be fair. Um, and I'll say the same thing that my dad uh, massively um, uh, massively tough on me when I was younger growing up. But 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 in a, in a good way that uh, I remember playing local football on a Sunday Sunday as you do junior football and, and sat around the dinner table having Sunday dinner and um, and just being brutally honest that scored two but you should have scored four should have scored five and it's just been you know what I mean because you, there's no point thinking you've done well if you can go to that other level and I do think that yeah. it's, it's not being negative it's 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 seeing the positives and I think young players nowadays you they'll, they'll, they get told all the things that they want to hear all the time and for me sometimes they need to be told the, the truth and, and being brutally honest because it's dog eat dog out there and I don't think sometimes that they, uh, that they get told um, as many negatives as they should get because people are trying to protect him, but but then all of a sudden they get released at a young age and who protects them then? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, David, you mentioned um, Gary Speed there. I wanna, I'm going to jump ahead um, and just go to the Wales setup. And I wanted to ask you about your relationship with John, Tosh, John Toshak. Obviously, yeah. you famously criticised him uh, quite, you know, publicly, I guess, would be the yeah. terminology. Um and I guess I wanted to ask you about your relationship with him and also if you regretted doing that publicly in hindsight or you don't and you stand by every word. Um, I, don't, I don't really have any regrets. I think with... Uh, I spoke to a journalist and they asked me a few things and they twisted quite a lot of the words. So I was a young professional back then, so they did twist a lot of words like fucking most journalists. But I... Um, I did say things, you know, that I probably shouldn't have said, but I don't take back from the, my point, which was basically, you know, Toshak wanted um, all his players, his players to be playing at a higher level. I was 17, 18. I just broke into the Premier League and no disrespect to League Two players whatsoever, but he would then pick a League Two player that would, and put him in my position and play in front of me. So my point was, well, you've wanted all your players to be playing at the Championship or Premier League level. Now that I'm there, you're then playing a, a League Two player in front of me. So... 
that was my point really so i was yeah. and at that time i was playing so but in terms of our relationship i never had a bad um, relationship with um john tosh i was very grateful for the opportunity that he gave me and all the other younger players that was just the only episode really where we fell out because i just voiced my opinion and not not playing in front of league two players at that time when i was you know playing in the premier league how difficult was that, mate? To uh, to see that obviously the the the, the golf in, in in kind of players, what you were what you were playing with and training with, because obviously you've you know what I mean you've got Premier League players and then Championship players and then obviously to make the numbers up, so to speak, you know what I mean. You, the, the the lesser league or lower league players are coming into the group, and and obviously your expectations are that you're going to play because you're playing in the Premier League, you're playing week in week out, you're playing well, you're scoring goals. And um, so, how disappointing then is it to to not play and be selected? Yeah, it's it's very. Yeah, it's hard to say because, you know, you're playing in the Premier League or you're playing club level, then you go away on international duty and you want to play because if you're just going away just to make up the numbers or you're just training there and you, you want game time, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. You want to go away, you want to play for your country, you want to play for your clubs that you're there. That's why you you get paid to do. Um, but in the sense of the quality, I think over the years when we were under Toshak from the way we then blossomed and, and grew in, in the sense with Gary Speed and then Chris Coleman was... It was huge strides, really, in, in the sense of the professionalism and the level of players that you know kept on. So, how different was it with the with the Wales managers that you did, that you just named? Then you worked under, you know, I mean, everyone has their own own styles. Everyone has their own little techniques and quirks, and, and probably team selections, really, and squad selections. So, how do all managers differ, and which one was your favourite to play under? Um. I love my time with Gary Speed. I think he he brought me back into then the squad. But I think Chris Coleman was was amazing just because I think everyone wants to play for him, and that was the only time. And I've said this many times. It's the only time that I've been on the bench and I've wanted my team to to win because normally I'd be like, oh, I hope they lose. I hope they're losing yeah, yeah. so then I can come on, make an impact, score a goal, then we draw or win. And yeah. That that's I think that's just maybe a natural feeling for most footballers. But I when we were away with the Euros and with Wales, we were, our aim and our focus was, was qualifying to get to a major championship we were all pulling in the right direction I think that was I think that's his strength really Chris Coleman where he kept everyone involved we all felt together and when I was on the bench I I wanted us to win just as much as if I was playing So how proud were you then that obviously you played a major part in uh, in probably I'd say that the, the, the well the more successful era in Welsh football so how proud are you that um, that you were involved in that kind of that kind of team squad selection um, to be quite honest, I think it's probably better to ask me that maybe in like another five, six, seven years time, because I'm one of these people that I don't look back and go, I'm proud of these things. I'm not proud of that because when I made my debut um, for Wales, I was the youngest ever player at one point for about 10, uh, when I beat Ryan Giggs's record, I come on for him. At that point, I wasn't even that proud as well. I'm, I'm very strange like that I always strive to just go on to the next thing, go on to the next thing. But I think maybe in a few years time, I will be proud looking back at that. Um, and I was very grateful to, I worked extremely hard to be in the Welsh squad. I was very grateful to play with, you know, amazing players and had a great group of guys involved in that as well. Were you Penny expecting, Penny, sorry, sorry, were you expecting to be in the Euro squad when they, when, you know, as the, the you're waiting for the Euro squad to be announced for the tournament, were you confident that you were going to be in that squad to go there or was it kind of, you know, you weren't quite sure? Well, I think I just I, I was out of the squad for a little while, and then I broke back in, and because I was on really good form for Birmingham, and you know we were towards the top end of the championship, and I, so I was performing at a high level there. I was, you know, reaching almost double figures, and definitely with assists, I was always double figures. So I was, I was doing really well there, and then 
Um, I thought I should be in the squad before then, but as footballers, we always believe that we should be uh, yeah. playing or involved anyway. But I think um, on that sense, I thought I had a good chance because I, I had a good enough season to get me to the Euros. And then I was a bit disappointed when we went to the Euros that I didn't have no time on the pitch just because yeah. I thought that my my form going into there I did enough to get on the pitch and um but it is what it is I was I, I made the squad very very uh, I grateful thought, for that um, I thought you could have got on come on a couple of times off the bench uh particularly when we were looking for a goal because you that season for Birmingham you'd scored a few worldies um and like you were in I I in my opinion which obviously does not mean a lot um, I think that was one of your best seasons in your career, and I think you had a real purple patch for uh, Birmingham. And I like, I really think, and that was one of my questions actually later was that I, from the outside looking in, I feel like your form became more consistent as your career went on and you got a bit older. Do you think that's a fair um, observation? Do you feel like that, or do you feel? I think- yeah, I think with Birmingham is that I had a manager and at, at Doncaster when I was there with Dean Saunders, I, I think I had 22, 23 assists when we were in League One. I scored 10 goals and we got promoted that year. I think from that point, when I've always had managers who trusted me and believed in me, is that that's when I performed my best. When I had managers who were who didn't know how to handle certain things, that's when I, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't go so well. But when I had managers who understood me as a person and liked me that way, I would more tend to, to get trusted and that's when I, you know, my performances would be better. Um, I think with, with Wales, when we went away, especially when we played Portugal in the semi-finals, I think we brought, we had a couple of strikers on and, and my game is obviously, you know, it was crossing, delivering or whatever. We had Voxy on and, and so on. I just thought, well, that's one of the games we were chasing that could be brought on and so on. But um, look, I went away with Wales. Not many people can say that they, they represented their country at that, at that level, you know. Yeah, 100%. Um, you just mentioned there, mate, about um, about managers and believing in managers. And but obviously, I, th- I think that also goes both ways as well, doesn't it? That a manager believes in you, you buy into what they're doing and what they're what they're trying to do. So you run through a brick wall for them, don't you? And you know, I mean, how how important is it to play for a manager that you that, that believes in you? And obviously, but then obviously the other side of the coin is when that manager leaves, how do you feel and how do you deal with those kind of situations? Um. Yeah, when I think when Rowett left Birmingham, for example, I, it just didn't make no sense. We were three points off second place. Um, we were thinking, you know, add a couple of players in January and we might have a, a right go to get promoted. Yeah. And and I, and then all of a sudden we sacked him because the owners, again, wanted to fucking play games and right, we'll bring Zola in because we want to play a certain style of play. We played Rotherham. We won 4-2 and we played Ipswich. We won 1-0 and the owners literally slated us saying why are you not beating Rotherham 6-7-0 they're just Rotherham this and that and and obviously our response at any level especially the championship to go Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday and to win any game at that level is very difficult so yeah, yeah. I, I think we I think we felt we were getting disrespected and I think Rout was felt the same way and we got rid of him and so I was disappointed when he left to be quite honest um but I think it yeah. does. So it leaves a it leaves a sour taste in your mouth, doesn't it? And, and you and you start to think, you know, what I mean, you've got to then reinvent yourself to another manager. You know, what I mean, you 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 then worrying. You're going into games feeling pressure instead of instead of just just enjoying the way that certain managers like you to play and playing with confidence, playing with passion, playing with pride, and and just your own your own mental state just does change quite drastically and dramatically overnight. Yeah, it puts you on obviously edge, but it is what it is. You know, you you all fight for for your place. Everyone's there, but I think. Um, you know, play. We were we were bringing in players at that point, which were not all of them, but some were nowhere near better than the players we had already. Um, so I don't think that it actually benefited the squad. 
Um, there was a few additions there were, of course they did, but there was some others, most of them who, who didn't. And I think, um, you know, it's just with the situation with Zola, I can sense that he was, was a great guy. Obviously, he was a ledge player. He, yeah. You know, he's a really, really nice person. But, you know, he was, um, he wanted me to stay. So I was negotiating a new deal with Rowett, negotiating a new deal with Zola at that point. And then the, the last few hours of January transfer window, they, he rung, Zola rung me up. He said, look, I'm going to have to let you go. Otherwise, you're going to be made to train on your own. I'm going to have to make your life hell because I've been told that you have to leave. And I was just like, well, we've just been negotiating a new deal like for all these many months and I want to stay. Um, so that's when I had to go. I went to Bristol City on loan. And from that point, really, that's what it started to put a bit of taste in my mouth where I was just I was just fed up with the politics involved. I was heavily drinking at this point as well. My drinking was in full flow. So I just really I think it was just time for me just to move on. How um, if like if you don't mind me asking, how old were you when you first started drinking? Um, I was, I started drinking when I was about, you know, 19, 20, but it was never, never too much. It was, I probably, mm. I started to drink a, a lot when I was about 23, 24 and upwards. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just, whether I was feeling low, I was kind of like just self-medicating where I just drink, you know, day in, day out or, or binge drinking, whatever it may be. But it was then, it was getting later on in my career where that's where it was like really hitting where, you know, I was just doing stupid things when I was drinking and it was just one of the, the effect of making me happy or having a good time. It was always dark places for me when I was drinking. Mm. Would that be through boredom though, David? You know what I mean? Obviously, I think, I think people, and I'm not, and I'm not um, preaching to people here, um, that being a footballer, you know what I mean? You're, you're in this kind of bubble, you know what I mean? You don't really work or train um, a long time during the day, you know, and it's something what you love doing. So it's not even a chore that you, that you don't start all probably 10 o'clock, to, you know, in, between 9 and 10 o'clock, you can be home by dinner time. So you've got all the rest of the day, all the rest of the afternoon. You get all these, all this time off. Um, so you've got to try and keep yourself busy sometimes. You know that I've had, um, I've had similar, similar things that you know, probably um, it was an injury what probably forced me into, into drinking heavily um, uh, during my Middlesbrough days. And, and, and you go on a, <laughs> on, a, on a tough spiral and you know, I mean, it only takes probably a, um, something to go wrong. Um, before then, you you realise that you're you're in a bit of a mess and you're in a you're in a dark hole and it's hard to get out of. Yeah, I think um, from that perception, I was like, you know, I had a young family anyway, so I was not, I wouldn't say it was just down to boredom. I was just always, you know, if I was down, I'd go and drink, and then just uh, I felt, to be quite honest, I'd always feel indestructible. So I just thought that I could do whatever I wanted when I wanted, and then just you know, effectively just eventually caught up with me. Um, so just to spiral out of control, I'd try taking my own life on three, four occasions. So I think from that point of view, it was just getting too much, and that's when I knew I had to, to sort my shit out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to. Uh, well, we're obviously going, we're going to revisit that because obviously we're going to talk about uh, obviously the foundation that you uh, that, you're, that you're fully involved in. Um, yeah. I would like to uh, go go right back to the beginning, really, and just talk about um, your, your your first club, where it all started out, so where your football journey started. You know, what I mean, obviously, we're, going, we're not going to go through obviously every single nook and cranny and every single club, but so why Bristol City? Um, so I was I was picked up from a scout there at the age of ten. So I started I started playing football when I was six, and I got I went to, I had to go to Barry um, because there was no teams in Cardiff that would you know set up at that young. So I went there and then eventually I got picked up by a scout um, in Barry there at the age of 10. I got asked to go and have a little training session, a trial with Bristol City. And that's eventually when I you know, assigned a contract, um, which would eventually then help me establish me into the first team. Right, OK, so was it, was it, uh, were you happy with Bristol City or did you have other options as well? Um, 
I, yeah, I did have a few options, but I think in terms of, of Bristol City, I wanted to stay close to home. Cardiff were never really knocking that much at that age. Um, so Bristol was that, a, regr- was that a regret? Was that a regret? No, not really. I think oh, Bristol, disappointment. I, I, I love my no, I love my time at Bristol City. I think the academy there, the way they run it, the the people that very were there good. were amazing. The, yeah. the people there were amazing to me. So I'm, I was very happy with my football education there. I, I wouldn't take anything back. And I thought that was, it was a great setup. They, they do things the right way. Um, and it's a good club. So is that why you returned after Birmingham City? Because obviously people say don't go back. And obviously you went back on loan. But obviously you, you obviously you love for the club and, and your times that you had must have been happy to return. Yeah, I was happy to return as well, and and you know I have a young family who was in Cardiff as well, so it was it was closer for me to see them. So it just all fitted quite well, where you know I could see them, I could be near my family again. Um, and Bristol was always so good for me, and it was they you know the stadium was a lot better. They were they moved, they've kicked on a lot further than than my time there the first time. So I it was a great time for me to go back and and put my experience on the younger players there. So. Yeah, that's the reason why I decided to go on loan. I knew the manager. He, he was an ex-teammate of mine. So, um, yeah, I decided to go there and just, and just play football, trying to just make sure that I stayed in the Welsh squad. So, David, you know when you left uh, Bristol initially and you went to Wigan for £2 million, uh, 2006, I think it was, um, was there, like, obviously, Wigan's quite far away from Cardiff and from Bristol. Um, was that difficult for you to settle in? Uh, you know, still quite young at that point. And was there anyone who, you know, really helped you settle in to on and off the pitch? Um, I think, it, yeah, it was a very difficult time for me. I think, you know, at that age, I realised that, you know, I, I did have a good agent at that time, but the whole agency were like, right, they were speaking to me every day. And as soon as I got the move, they were not speaking to me as much. Um, mm. And I didn't really have the, the great support around me, which... I felt like I needed that and I wanted it at that time because I was so young. I was like 17, 18, moved, moved to the Premier League, um, four or five hours away from home. And my young partner at the time, she was pregnant. So we lived in a hotel, we were waiting for a house to be built and et cetera, et cetera. And it was very difficult because obviously if you do, a, if you have lived with a pregnant woman, you know, it can not be easy. So um, we were basically in a hotel, we were away from my home. My wife's in no the chat, support. so... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you be careful. <laughs> so, so it's very, it's very difficult, and I think that you know, the, don't get me wrong. There's people at the club who were who were great. They were always looking out for me, and there's a f- few senior players as well who would tr- always try and look out for you. But I, my partner was the only person that I that had me up there. So we were kind of just I had to go and be with her and so on. She couldn't be left alone. She didn't have no one around her. I didn't have no one around me. So it was very difficult. Yeah. Especially at that such a young, it's like 16, 17. That's, that's like the age of my oldest kid now. And like, I, well, he's 16 just about. But like, I just think I can't imagine him moving to Wigan next year. Do you know what I mean? Like on his yeah. own, this, this seems incredible. I know football is like a slightly different world. But um, the one thing I guess I was interested in is obviously like you do work now to try and help, uh, you know, footballers, people generally with kind of mental health issues and stuff like that but I wondered if you think that clubs could do more to support you know they sign these young players from all around the world really these days uh, at the age of 16 17 18 should they and could they do more to help them settle into the area settle into you know finding a house making sure that they're okay like you said about your agents 
kind of stopped calling once the well, you know once the move was sorted. Whereas really the support you needed was after the move was sorted. Um, do you think clubs could do more and agents could do more and just generally people could do more to help young players? Yeah, I think um, obviously I've been retired now and I'm out of the game and I don't know how most agents look um, after their players this day and age. But I feel that it's kind of like, right, the agents got there a few quid for getting the move. Right, we've done our job. Let's just let them crack on. That's what yeah. I felt. They could, they could be more of a support in terms of definitely the, the mental health side of things, the, you know, um, to look after you. And, you know, in, in terms of the football clubs, Yes, of course they can do more. There's some clubs out there who do amazing jobs with their players, but there's a there's a way more that don't do things good enough. I think in terms of like especially the mental side of things, where players don't even know where to turn, they don't know who they can trust to talk about the way they feel because they don't want to jeopardize their contracts. Um, it's even like the players who get released. As soon as the players are released, no one gives a fuck about them really because they mm. just they just they just like oh okay, well he's been released, he's not part of us now. Who cares? And that's where I think that they probably need the most care because the, we don't like reject we don't like getting rejected as adults. Never mind as young kids. So yeah, but we think it's okay in in that in this industry. Do you think the PFA, Dave? Do you think that the PFA should play a, a more pivotal role? Oh yeah, huge. I think the PFA need to have fresher ideas. I've always explained that. I think there's a lot of older heads in there where they've been there too long and they've not got fresh ideas. I think younger younger people need to come in with um, ideas how to how to move the game on. Because you know, I had once I had one senior football player who had an amazing career. He played in, he played for his national team. He played in the Premier League for many years. And he messaged me the other week and he said, "Oh, have you got any numbers of counselors? Because I don't know who to turn to." And I said, "You can speak to the PFA." He didn't even know how the PFA run or act. And he had a, That's he had a, incredible. He had a career for about twenty years. <laughs> so I had a similar thing when I came out. When I came out the game, I was lost. Um, I didn't have a clue where to turn, and I probably, I was probably six, seven months down the line, and I was contemplating all sorts of things, really negative thoughts, in a really, really dark, dark place. And uh, and somebody um, on my behalf spoke to the PFA and. They said that I should have got in touch with them earlier, but unless you know, and unless you you're you're, you're told, or and and I also think you've got to be the kind of person who's who's looking for advice as well. You know, if you you know what I mean, because everyone thinks uh, being a professional footballer that you're you're in you're in this hierarchy that you never have to work again, you never have to do this, never have yeah. to do that, and um, and I think it's such a false um, idea and a false position. Um, and um, and sometimes you you're embarrassed to ask for help and and and, and embarrassed to uh, just to tell people the story and what you're going through and. Um, I spoke to Richard Jobson, I spoke to Andy Barlow at the PFA, and uh, they were great, I'll be honest, once I got to talk to them. But, um, you know, I'd love to sit down with them and explain the process that I had before I got to talk with them and, and how low I felt yeah. and, uh, and et cetera. So um, I just think uh, it was such a, oh, yeah, you, you, you won't believe what I've just, uh, Fulham just got. Um, but... The show must go on, eh? Um, yeah, but it was a, disapp- a disappointing part of my life. But, uh, you know, I mean, the thing that, that I would love to pass on to people like like you do now, um, that um, I'd, and I'd love to, to go in there to football clubs and explain the options which I didn't have and then the options that I did have and the options that... Um, uh, and, and just to reassure people, really, you know what I mean? Because that could happen at 16, 17, 18, maybe it's earlier, but it can also happen at 35, 36... 40, you know that, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what old, how old you are, you still have the same feelings and you still feel as though, where do you turn, where do you go next? And you know what I mean? So I think uh, they have a massive part to play, which then moves me on to 
uh, to your obviously foundation. Can you tell everybody um, obviously when your foundation was set up and what's involved in your foundation? Because obviously it's just, it's just some amazing work. Yeah, so with the foundation we set up, so initially me and um, a friend of mine who's locally, he's a lot, he's a lot older than me, we were, because I spoke um, publicly about my mental health, we were just initially trying to help people in the local community who couldn't afford to have counselling or afford to go to have these sessions. We were just bringing on uh, mental health um, anonymous meetings where people would just come and share, have a coffee, share our experience of how we're feeling on a day to day basis, what we anxiety or depression or trauma we've been going through. And it just got, got people talking really more than anything else and just show that it's, it's okay not to, um, to obviously feel down. It's okay not to feel okay. So it was just kind of, it started off with that. We, we then put on, um, training sessions, which we were obviously creating a routine where healthy body, healthy mind. So we just get, went down that route and we just, we just continue to help people on a daily basis where we have live chats, we have Instagram where we support people. But, um, away from that, I do have, um, a business with a psychotherapist, which is a crystal matrix where we have got mental health courses online, which we support people. So if people don't feel that they can go and speak to counselors face to face, that you can buy the, the online course and just goes to obviously the inner child. It brings out your goals in life and it goes into obviously depression. They got hypnotherapy sessions on there. So from that angle, we are supporting people a lot more. Great stuff. That's absolutely amazing. And that's not just football, is it? That's, that's obviously any, the general public, anybody anybody who feels as well. There. Yeah, so th my initial thought process when I set up my foundation and, um, with the courses as well is that I don't want to just be helping elite athletes or any athletes out there. I want to be able to help people who are in local communities who, who can't afford to have these counselling sessions or who can't afford to have this help to make sure that they're, they're still being thought of and they, they're still help there that they need. Fair play. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing, you know, because uh, and I think uh, only when you you, you do um, obviously go through tough times in your life um, that you know I mean that can happen at any age that you obviously need you need to be able to speak to the right people and speak to people who've, who've been in that, those kind of situations and um, and I think it's it, I mean, I've, I've researched and I've and I've looked into it and I think, I think it's an absolutely fantastic thing what you're doing and uh, and I hope it helps keeps continuing to help as many people as it can. Thank you very much. Yeah, 100%, David. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, just quickly, really. So, um, like, I've had issues with drinking and sort of depression, anxiety, all that sort of stuff myself um, f since I was, like, 20. So coming on, like, 20 years soon. Um, and I was kind of really just wondering. Um, I read, I think it was, it was either Ledley King or Saul Campbell's book where they said, Basically, they when they were struggling with depression and off the field issues, they didn't feel comfortable going to uh, like the coaching staff or the manager because they were worried about losing their place in the team because the manager or the coach or would coach would report to the manager and they would basically say that because they were having maybe thoughts of anxiety and stuff like this, that it would automatically mean that they weren't able to play. So they would then not necessarily not know where else to go well they wouldn't know where else to go but also they wouldn't go to the people that necessarily they thought they should go to because of fear of losing their place in the team so i was wondering one if that was like a similar kind of thing for you but two also do you think that's quite a common thing for footballers as well yeah, I, that's why I chose not to. I didn't want to jeopardise putting food on the table for my family because I didn't want my contract to get pulled. I didn't want to stop them from playing me because that's the only time that I felt free, really, is on a Saturday when I could just go out there and express how I was feeling, just felt free for 90 minutes. Um, 
so yeah, that's it. I wouldn't. Some of the managers that I had in my career, I wouldn't necessarily think that I was comfortable to go and speak to because I remember I had Kevin Blackwell at Sheffield United, and I honestly I couldn't think of anything worse than go and speak to someone like him because he wanted me. He wasn't approachable at all. He was always kind of like a bully, really, towards like the younger players, and then he was just about that life, and I didn't like it. So from that point of view, I think if he was a, a manager this day and age, and I know he's been assistant recently in Cardiff, but I'm surprised that. You know, um, players haven't been complaining about his approach if he's still the same way as he was at Sheffield United. So I think um, from that point of view, I wouldn't have been able to go and speak to someone like that, for example, because he would probably say, you're not playing, it's a sign of weakness, pull yourself together, you're mentally not right, and that's it. So from that point, you do... you, do, you I expect players not to, to speak to him because you can't... They feel like you're going to get your place taken off him. I think also it's it's got to be a, it's got you've got to trust somebody so much to uh, divulge, divulge all this kind of information. You know that you know what I mean. If, if you're not if you're not comfortable in probably telling your partner, you're not comfortable in telling your friends. Then I think your manager is the last person on your mind who you're going to start talking to. You know that you probably don't want to tell your teammates. So that's why things get worse and worse and worse because you keep it all to yourself. Yeah, then things are ten times worse the next week or the week after. Um, and like David said there, you know what I mean? The only time you've got your release is a Saturday. And then if you're not playing on the Saturday, then all of a sudden things spiral out of control. They get even worse. Midweek games come. You don't play again. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know what I mean? It, it, your life is 10 times worse. And it's no fault of your own because all you want to do is just go out there and kick a football around and, and, and showcase your ability and just take a little bit of frustration out on, on someone else, something else. Um, and then all of a sudden you're not allowed to do it. And it's just, um, yeah, it's... Um, it's 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 not it's not nice and it's not um it's it's not a nice position to be in but you know what i mean and 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 people say and and it winds up when people say it by the way they're on about money and they're on about Sol Campbell for example that he's come out uh, quite publicly and said um uh, the amount of times that he's he's suffered with depression and things and he's he's not allowed well why is he not allowed <laughs> just because he's a multimillionaire well that, that, that that's the, it's irrelevant you know it's irrelevant because like i said you know what i mean football is such a uh, a nice thing where you get so much time by yourself and sometimes and I mean by yourself you can be by yourself for probably four days you know what I mean and without seeing without seeing other people apart from going to going to, going to work or go to training and it's such a such a lonely time at, at, at times and uh, you know what I mean you try and do the right thing but sometimes being on your own is the wrong thing because it messes with your head and, and you start to do things that you shouldn't do um, drinking gambling um, and it just it's, it spirals out of control I think I think with that as well is that where I struggled is that I did see a few counsellors throughout my career, but I just used to look at them and they'd give me advice. And I used to think, how the fuck could you give me advice one-on-one in here? Because you're not having to play in front of 50,000, 60,000 people. So I couldn't really relate to counsellors that well, unless, they, unless yeah. it was someone like me, until I could relate to someone who was similar to me. And the only time that I related to someone that before I checked into rehab was another fellow addict who was an alcoholic. And I only ever did drink. Um, so... I was literally, until he said that, you know, you sat, you're like me, you're an alcoholic. I didn't really listen to anyone before. So until mm-hmm. I could relate to someone, it's the same thing as footballers. If they can't relate to someone who's been in their position, then it's very difficult for them to understand. Hmm. I totally agree. I, I totally agree. And I, I'm so excited about in there. Um, I, I just I, I just think, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not preaching, I'm not, I'm not looking for people to feel sorry for, uh, for footballers and people, you know what I mean? Because it is a privileged situation to be in, but also it's a... It's it's a lonely and and a, and a negative place at times because one minute Dave said there you, you know what I mean you can be at the top of the world you're playing in front of fifty sixty seventy thousand people um, and then the next week you could be seventeenth man and feeling as low as you could ever feel and it's such a 
uh, it's like a roller coaster. It's, it's so so unex, unex, unexplainable. It's just scary, scary. I think it, I think it's just obviously that you know. That, that I think and you hit it on the nail on the head there. Is that people think well, just because you're a multimillionaire, you're doing this and doing that, it just hides your emotions. Well, it doesn't really. You still have to live with yourself of certain things or what you're going through. I think the only example that I use is that. Robin Williams was one of the funniest guys that's ever graced the planet. And I think from the outside, everyone's like, it's very, you know, he's taking his own life. And, and, and whereas like, I don't know why, but surrounded in like football stigma is like kind of like, well, do you know what? Just man up. You're, you're loaded. You're on X amount of money mm. a week. You shouldn't have these feelings. So I don't understand why it's aimed towards a lot of footballers with this. It's like, as soon as yeah. we went into lockdown about COVID, thing is everyone was started blaming the footballers again it's just it's just yeah. crazy yeah football footballers thought you earn too much money so they should be yeah it's just it's, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous 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 um, so uh david earlier on when we uh you were talking about your drinking uh um gaz sent in a question he said when did you realize that you had a problem rather than just being someone who kind of liked having a drink um i think it's when my ex-wife just used to tell me saying look i've got a, you've got a problem like everything's just not normal because i was always i was going home i was smashed at my house i was always trying to do something stupid and drinking was no longer fun for me anymore it wasn't really helping me whereas like in the early days i'd drink it'd make me feel happy and buzzing to go yeah. out where it was not even doing that for me anymore i was like trying to kind of self-medicate what i'd feel low that alcohol would give me the buzz to, to feel happy but it didn't really have that effect on me anymore. And it was just making made you me more feel and worse, more... probably, did it? Yeah. More, yeah, yeah, it made me feel worse. It's more and more depressed. And I would just get on it even more because I thought, well, well, I feel this way. Just get back on it again. Um, and and towards the end of my career, I, I was drinking and uh, I just wasn't enjoying football. I think even... I just had enough of, the, of everything, really. I, I had enough of life. I had enough of going into training. I had enough of playing the games. I had enough of playing the politics involved in football. I just had enough. Yeah, yeah, I, it's um, it's a unique industry, football is, isn't it? Um, a few people have asked uh, how you how you find him playing for Barry Town United, and also if you know anything about when the Welsh Premier League season will start. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed it. I think when I initially had that two years out of retirement, everyone like, oh yeah, you're going back into it, but fitness and football fitness is totally different you can run on the treadmill as much as you want but when you're having to check and change and, and do different it's completely different so when i gone back in i really enjoy you know the manager there and i enjoy the, the players there's a great group of guys and um i'm excited for this season because i feel that i'm on a level playing field i know that might sound stupid where i played at a higher level than the rest of the boys there but um i feel that I can be at the same fitness level as them and, and push on and, and I'm excited. I, I enjoy the management staff there. I enjoy what the club are about. It fits in well with what I'm doing outside of football as well. So that's the reason why I want to keep, I want to keep that competitive edge to, to do well in Europe and to do well um, in, the, in the Welsh Premier League as well. But the answer to your question, when the league's starting, I don't even know if UEFA or the FAW know when we're starting, so I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> um, you just mentioned there, you mentioned obviously about, the, uh, about playing again, mate. So... How do you how do you feel though about being a like a high profile player in that league? Do you uh, do you tend to get any any special treatment from opposition players? Um, to be quite honest, it was it's a bit um, a weird start because we played two games and a couple of games got called off, which is obviously no disrespect. I'm not used to because no games got called off in the championship unless it was ridiculous snow. Um, and then we then we went into lockdown, so it was kind of played two games, went into lockdown. But I think. Um, 
but I don't want them to give me extra treatment because like, we're all competitive. We all want to go and, and win the match that that as well. But um, I do enjoy being around the guys again with the banter. There's a good group of guys there. The staff are good. So, yeah, I, I'm liking being involved in that competitive side of things again. Do you see this um, like like a long-term thing? Are you, are you wanting to keep your boots on as long as possible? Now you've got like a little bit of a hunger back? Yeah, I didn't want to do, you know, a lot of people probably from the outside just like, oh, he's just going to go and do the, you know, a media stunt where he plays for two or three games and he gets off. But it was never my plan. I wanted to play that season and keep continuing, like what you just said there, keep continuing to play as long as possible. And if I can't um, be at a level where I'm used to and I'm not reaching the goals that I set myself, then I just I just hang my boots up because I have standards for myself to, to reach. And if I'm... But until, um, as long as I'm fit and I can offer something to the team, then I'll, I'll play for as long as possible because I want to try and help the club out and help the manager and, and my teammates out as much as possible. Well, I think that's that, that's key for me because obviously I, I I try to play on as long as long as I possibly could. I play over forties now, and, and and I love it. I love the I love the banter with the lads. I love the competitiveness. I just love uh, the, the the preparation. That it, it gives me something to look forward to on a weekend. That gives me something to keep fit for and. Uh, and, and have a hunger for and, and just I, I want to play as long as I can because I remember a few years ago a good friend of mine Richie Starr told me that uh, that you're a long time retired so you know I mean if you can't if you're able enough to play and run around just do it because I say he, he he had to retire through injury um, and and just can't run about so he said if he if he had the, the legs and, and the fitness that I've got then then he, he would have loved to play so I just I've took that advice and I'm just going to try and play um, as long as I possibly can for at whatever level I can really. Do you know what though? I didn't. I, I'll be honest. When I when I retired, I did not miss it for two years. I I, I don't miss the day to day training. Um, I enjoy going into training now because it's two or three times a week, or was twice a week. Then we play a game, so I enjoy that side of things. But I'm I enjoy it because I can do my other work outside of helping people yeah. with mental health and, and so on. And and I do enjoy that side because I can you know have the best of both worlds really. Yeah. No. Well, I to- I totally agree, and I think uh, I think part time football, non league football, is fantastic for. For people who've got another passion or another job, or you know, what I mean, or, or, or use it for a different angle, you know, it's yeah. Don't get me wrong, being a professional footballer is one of the best experiences and uh, and a privileged position to be in. But um, when your body or when your mental, but when your mental state's not not ready for and, and to be able to carry that on, you know, my, my body was shot to pieces probably yeah. late late twenties and. I was struggling to train. I was in a, I was in a, in a really bad place, and I'd be waking up on a morning before training on a Monday, struggling. Waking, waking up on a morning on a Saturday morning, for on a match day, struggling and thinking, oh, this is going to be a struggle today. And and, and already I'm, and I'm in, a, I'm in a negative position yeah. for a game, and already I've lost, and already I'm going to have a bad game. So you know what I mean. And when I finished, I knew I shouldn't have played, or I'm not giving myself the best opportunity, and that's where, uh, that's when it all really, really didn't work for me. Well, I think when you're at a professional level, though, you never go into. Um, I can't remember the last time I went into a game not having a niggle or anything. I was always yeah. always had aches and pains, especially towards yeah. the latter stage of my career. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting when you say that, you know, because Bielsa's got this uh, strategy where if you're not 100, percent you don't play. So I would have never played. I would. I don't think I would have ever played because I don't think I was ever 100 percent fit. I was always probably 90, 95 percent, 80, something, I sometimes 75 percent because, you, like you say, you've got a a niggle, a dead leg, a twisted ankle, yeah. get me ankle. I would never have dead get my ankle strapped up or my knee looked after or or have a rub before the game because it's just shows weakness. I don't know if I'm having that. How can he know if they're hundred percent or yeah. not? You can't. Yeah, we, we might have to quiz those players and say if they're yeah. if any of them got niggles or not. I would. Uh, I would. I, I wouldn't. I, I would have to change my answers all the time because I wouldn't be honest. I'd be honest. For, I'd be yeah. honest the first week, and then when I didn't play, I'd be thinking, oh, "Well, hang yeah, on a minute. I'm not changing, changing my answer." <laughs> Uh, David, just a couple of questions from the live chat just before we finish off then. Um, yeah. 
Gaz uh, wanted to know, uh, you mentioned about being on fire at Doncaster. You'd had a load of assists and goals. Was it difficult to make the decision to leave them rather because they offered you a new contract, I think, didn't they? And um, you ultimately went in a different direction. Was that a difficult decision, obviously, with Dean Saunders being the manager as well? Well, Dean Saunders, he left to go to Wolves and he was trying to sign me before then he went there. So he was trying to, to get me there. And um, to be quite honest, I would have gone to Wolves um, from Doncaster. I love my time at Doncaster. All the people there, all the group of lads we had, are amazing. We got promoted. It's great times. Um, but in the sense of my career at that time, I wanted to... Wolves are a big club and I had aspirations to obviously go on and get back in the Welsh squad. And I, I just feel that leaving Doncaster because they then got relegated to League One. I need to make sure that I stayed in the Championship. So Birmingham and a couple of other clubs come call um, come calling. And Birmingham are a big club and it was close to the Cardiff. Again, it was, it was closer for me to see my family. So that was that's what made my decision is that they were in the Championship, big club, and it was close to my family. So that's why I decided to move on. So from that point of view, I didn't, even though I enjoyed my time there, I didn't really feel that it was it was a really difficult decision. Talk me through, uh, David, the experience of playing in uh, Brentford nil, Doncaster Rovers won to win the title. Talk me through that game. Do you know what? It was crazy, that game. I couldn't, like, when we were playing in the game, it was like nothing in it, and we had a couple of chances, and I thought, here we go, blah, blah, blah. And then we gave a penalty right towards, like, the last minute, a kick of the game or something. And then they hit the crossbar. And, but for the penalty, I'm thinking, I don't know who's that I'm going to rip it off in the change room because it just cost us getting promoted. So I was already, I, already eyeing that up. And um, then, they, then they missed the penalty. Then we broke. And then all of a sudden, it was just kind of like, well, Painters broke down the right-hand side, squared into Coppinger, and he's just passed in the empty net. And I'm thinking, well, where are all the defenders? Clearly, they were just thinking about celebrating. Yeah. And it was quite funny because we were supposed to be celebrating and we would have had the trophy parade or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But because Bournemouth, they were drawing or winning their match would then mean that they won the league. And then Brentford, if they beat us, they would have gone second. And it was all like loads of changes, which would, we would have gone into the playoffs. So we went from thinking we lost from being top of the league to then going into the playoffs and then back winning the league again. It was just a bizarre 30 seconds. Amazing game. I remember speaking to Cop about it and just, you know what I mean? Just, I was so, so proud, obviously, as a, um, as a friend. And you know, obviously, I played for Doncaster briefly on loan um, myself earlier on in my career. And I, and I was just, I was, I was so pleased for the club because it was just, uh, it was the way it happened, basically. It was just amazing. Yeah. Really, really I pleased. Be, because they had, you know, they had a great owner in John Ryan, which he, he loved yeah. the club. He did things the right way. And, I think the way it worked out with obviously us getting promoted and Cops scoring a winner, it couldn't have fitted anything better really because he's been there. He's been the main man there for, for many years and he deserved mm. to make sure that he had his, he already has his name in the uh, history books there, but for him to score the winner yeah. on such an occasion, it was, it was perfect. Totally agree. 100%. Um, David, I've got one more question for you. Um, you he's, nervous. A... He's, ner- he's nervous. He's nervous. He's nervous. Who's the best yeah, Swansea in Cardiff? <laughs> it's an hey, easy one compared to Swansea or Cardiff. <laughs> His glasses are steaming up there. He's nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I was just interested in uh, your short stint in the Indian Super League for ATK. Um, yeah. Basically, because, you know, it's not uh, a league which we necessarily associate with, you know, with players going to. It's not one of the sort of most mentioned. However, it is highly, highly viewed in, in obviously, in, in India and the surrounding uh, places. Um, I was just wondering about the decision, the experience, just the all-round thing with it. Um, well, I was coming towards the back end of my career and 
you know, I played in the championship for like many years and it's, it's, it's a grind to be quite honest. Everyone thinks that from the outside, it's an easy league or wherever you're mistaken, because when you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, it's a tough, tough league. And, it, and if you see a lot of the Premier League players who, who've played in the Premier League for so long, who then drop down to the championship, they then tell you how difficult a league it is. Um, so I just wanted a, a different change in my career. I was getting to 29-30. Um, I always wanted to try a new culture, a different experience in a different country, in a different league. So um, India come knocking and Teddy Sharon was the manager. Robbie Keane was in the team. So I thought, you know what, why not go and experience this? Because it was January. It was only about five or six games left of the season because they have um, about 18 games a season there or something. And I thought I'd just go and try try something different. If I enjoyed it, then I could potentially keep on for next season. Um, but from where I was mentally, it wasn't a great decision because my wife at the time was pregnant and she was supposed to be coming over with me, but then her placenta on the last scan was too low. So she wasn't allowed to fly. So I ended up having to go over there all on my own in a hotel that we lived in, which in just mad circumstances, we were being like a nice hotel and 50 meters down the road, you have someone washed in the street naked with a bucket. And it was just like madness. And it was just like the poverty out there in our stadium. We had a, a billionaire owner. And then outside the boxes this one time when I was injured, um, you know, people, there was these two or three homeless people who were sat on the, in the stadium and they were starving looking at the window and we were all eating this nice food or whatever. So I took them some food and drinks out there to give to them. And I just thought, this is crazy life. You've got a billionaire here, we're all in the box eating food and you've got people there who can't afford yeah. anything with no food and they're mm. just sat outside. So the, so the poverty out there was really, really crazy. A whole different ball game out there. And also it's very difficult because, you know, you, you're only allowed five um, foreign players, which you had to have six um, homegrown players. And no disrespect to the players, but the six homegrown players would be worse than players you could probably pull up, you know, your streets when you were playing a fo- uh, back in the day football because the level and the standard was not that great. Mm. Do you do you, um? So you returned for the birth of your child, I believe, didn't you? Like you came back to the UK for the birth of your child. Did you have plans to go back out there after that, or was it kind of done when you came back? I think if things worked out and I I enjoyed my time there and. Um, but to be quite honest, I, I if it if it worked out a lot better, I might have maybe delayed the, the process of retiring. But I think that just topped it off for me. I was just done with it then. I was ready to go. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, David. Thank you ever so much for joining us, mate. I know we went a little bit over time. Yeah, I've been amazing, mate. Been amazing. I could have listened. Could have listened on there. Really appreciate the honesty as well. Really appreciate I'm not bored, you, eh? It's proved I'm not bored. Hey, you're not, mate. Could have kept you on for longer. No, that's right, mate. Could have kept you on for longer. I'm not disrespectful. When you cracked the joke earlier about the referee, I can't believe you missed my joke. You were chewing my ear off. I thought you were going to be like Pierre Luigi Cleaner, but you missed my joke. (laughs) (laughs) That wouldn't be allowed. Reese would have jumped back in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, guys, yeah, check out um, the audio version of this. It'll be out tomorrow morning. There's also numerous shows, as usual, out on uh, Ace Podcast Nation. Got some amazing guests. Uh, yesterday, we released a show with 2005 Ashes hero, Simon Jones, which was a lot of fun uh, with my podcast with West Indian cricketer uh, Kieran Powell, which was cool. And uh, we've got loads of shows, loads of stuff coming up. And uh, obviously, we've got the mental health and sport and mental health shows and all sorts. And uh, I had a few requests for the cons- return of the Conspiracy Theory show. And uh, might have, oh, sorry, just card nearly scored. Um, <laughs> might have, um, might have some news on that very soon. A special one-off show because I don't have any time to do any more shows. But uh, we might do a one-off on uh, 
someone, something. But in the meantime, thank you to Bespoke Financial. Thank you to Darren Ralston. Thank you to Black Diamond Sports. Thank you to everyone who's watched, commented, liked, shared, tuned in. Thank you to Andrew Campbell. Appreciate your time as always, mate. Loved it, loved it. Really appreciate uh, David's time. He's been uh, been a super guest, and uh, and I hope everything works out with the foundation, mate. Really do, really do. Keep up the good you. work. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Cheers, David. Thank you very much. Take care. Appreciate it, mate. Take it easy, pal. And uh, Bye, cheers guys. to everyone else. And we'll see you soon. Okay. Where's the outro thing? David. Yes. My mummy and daddy have been talking about life insurance. It sounds like something to protect my brother and me, but I don't really understand. Then my Auntie Louise told Mummy about Bespoke Financial Teesside. She said they're a local company who helped her with her life insurance. Mummy got in touch and because they're based locally, a man called Darren was able to come to our house. He was really friendly. Darren stayed for a cup of tea and made it all really easy to understand. He said that life insurance will protect our home and family if anything bad were to happen. Like if Mummy or Daddy got sick, then we'd get enough money to take care of us and our house would be paid for so we wouldn't get taken away. After an hour, Darren said goodbye and Mummy and Daddy seemed a lot happier. Once it was all sorted, we could all relax and watch a film together as a family. I don't know why they didn't do it sooner. Network.